Okay, it's time for another edition of the Penn State Blitz here in spring, late April finally. Uh, remote as always due to the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, Bob Flounders joined remotely by Greg Pickle. Lot to get to uh, in this edition. Time to talk about the NFL Draft. It's NFL Draft Weekend. We're going to talk about possible destinations for Etor, Etor Gross Matos and KJ Hamler. How many Lions will get drafted? Had a chance to talk via Zoom teleconferencing to special teams coordinator Joe Lorig of Penn State. Uh, a little bit of uh, intrigue about Micah Parsons possibly being a return man. Also had a chance to talk to new receivers coach Taylor Stubblefield and his young receiver group that must get better 2020. And we're going to conc- we're going to conclude with the Penn State mailbag. And I know there's going to be some recruiting news from our very own Greg Pickle. So let's get started. All right, another edition of the Penn State Blitz podcast. I'm Bob Flounders talking remotely with Greg Pickle. I know Lola is lurking somewhere during this podcast. Hopefully we'll hear from her several times when she gets done her peanut butter. I'm done my peanut butter. Greg, we're going to get to the NFL draft in this edition. Talk about Etor Gross Matos, KJ Hamler. Uh, Some thoughts from Penn State special teams coordinator Joe Lorig this week. Also had a chance to talk to Taylor Stubblefield, Penn State's wideouts coach. And then we're going to uh, finish off with the mailbag, including some more recruiting nuggets from you, Greg. So hope you're doing well. Hope Lola's doing well. Before we get started, anything new on your end? Hey, Bob. Hey, everybody. It's good to be back recording and talking some Penn State football. No, Bob, nothing new, but it is somewhat surreal that it's draft week. Obviously, um, we're just a year removed some, from some pretty good former Penn State players going off the board. It's hard to believe that year has gone by, and it's equally as hard to believe that with everything going on, that uh, Thursday will be our first live sporting event, even though it's not on the field. It's going to take yeah. place virtually um, with the NFL draft. It's really kind of surreal to think about that, but they're all ready to go. Um, obviously, there's a lot of intrigue about uh, how this is all going to play out, what will go right and what will go wrong. And I think we can both agree that it'll be pretty fascinating to watch no matter what. Yeah, um, I have a, just a quick question that's not necessarily Penn State related and it's not going in the mailbag, but I could save it for the mailbag, but I'm not going to. Are you going to be able to uh, – I know there's some wagering opportunities to be had out on this NFL draft. Um, I know you're covering Penn State, but uh, are, is there any chance that you might be able to uh, partake now that it's legal? So it is legal uh, sports betting, of course, in Pennsylvania, but sports betting on the NFL draft is not legal in Pennsylvania. No. We'll actually have more on that story on Penn Live Thursday morning. But, no, we talked to the Gaming Control Board. The, the Gaming Act here in Pennsylvania is pretty direct. It doesn't allow for – wagering opportunities uh, on things that aren't controlled on the field. So, for example, coach of the year betting is OK, because obviously the decisions the coach makes during the course of the regular season and in the playoffs will play a role in that outcome. Same with things like offensive rookie of the year, defensive rookie of the year. But since the draft is an off field event, you're actually not allowed to wager on it in Pennsylvania legally. Uh, of course, some surrounding states, I believe, including New Jersey, are letting people do that. So. There's a lot of interesting props out there, Bob, and maybe we'll get to some of those in the mailbag. Yeah, and technically, the, you know, players are controlling their destiny based on what they did do on the field. So I do think that's a bit of a yeah. crock that you're not allowed to gamble on it. But let's talk about Etor Gross Matos, Penn State's junior pass rusher, two-time All-Big Ten first-team selection. We both have actually, I think, had a chance to talk to him within the last month. He is a guy that I think most think has a really good chance to go a little bit later in the first round. 
Uh, I know that you talked to him most recently, Greg. Uh, any insight from Etor in terms of maybe who's interested in him or what you think maybe you know might be a good home for Etor? Yeah, he didn't really get into the specific teams he was talking to most, and that's quite okay because his agent, Andy Sims, and some other people in the agent and, uh, of course, NFL draft industry community, Bob, have really talked about the fact that, quite frankly, it's not as easy to pair these teams together as it used to be because the question you don't have an answer to is, are teams talking to a player because they're legitimately interested in him, or are they just, uh, like many of us, a little bit bored? Um, a little bit looking for things to do to, during their work week and just plugging in holes accordingly with guys that they probably have no chance of drafting. I mean, that used to go on with uh, in-person visits as recently, of course, as last year. Teams would bring guys in that they didn't really think they would get or have a chance to draft, but they brought them in anyway. Now um, it's even more pronounced, I think, with teams trying to just fill some holes, fill some gaps in time and just try and get to Thursday when the selection process begins. So I mean, I think if you look at the mock drafts out there, Bob, Seattle's a team he's been linked to. Tennessee's a team he's been linked to pretty heavily. Um, I haven't seen too many uh, the places suggesting the Ravens could be an option. I believe that was one place that was doing so earlier. Uh, you know, there are some places doing so earlier. But one thing I wanted to run by you, the most bullish projection I could find as of Wednesday morning for Ito Gross Matos was from Daniel Jeremiah, the NFL Network draft expert. He says, Bob, that he believes uh, Yitor will go to the Miami Dolphins with the number 18 overall pick that they got from the Steelers in the Minka Fitzpatrick trade. Do you see that as viable? Uh, definitely. Miami has uh, holes all over its defense. I think middle of the draft for a guy with upside, they have a lot of draft capital. I think I think from about 18 to the end of the first round is probably his best uh, destination. I also wouldn't rule out a team maybe trading up to get him late in the first round if he drops a little bit. Cause after you get to chase young, as far as pure pass rushers, you know, in the draft, there's only a couple of them. I think that have were productive on the college level. He's one of them. The fact that he's young, hasn't really played a lot of football. I think he's only going to get bigger and better and more talented. Had a couple, really nice game against Ohio state last year. I think a lot of people will, will look at that tape and say, maybe this guy could be a really special player in two or three years. We'll have to wait and see. But, Greg, uh, to, to get back to uh, some other guys in the draft, what do you think about old K.J. Hamler, who hasn't really been able to run since the end of the season? Is he a second-round pick, or will he slide maybe to early third? I would be surprised at this point if he slides into the third round, Bob. I think we can probably wipe away the projections of him going yeah. in the first round, though. Back in January, you'll probably remember, uh, for the folks listening at home, that he was pegged as maybe a late first round guy just like etor those projections have pretty much all gone by the wayside now but you're starting to see a pretty big consensus uh with him possibly going to the eagles at 53 obviously he wouldn't be the first penn state guy to make that transition with miles sanders having done so as well along with some other guys so i think that's been interesting of course if the eagles make a move in the first round or if a receiver falls to them that's not expected to that could obviously change that outlook and that plan but um, at this point, I would be surprised if he slipped into the third round. I know that Mel Kuyper is beating the uh, the inconsistencies drum as loud as yeah. he can in terms of, you know, maybe KJ didn't catch as many passes as he should have, or maybe he wasn't as a consistent of a route runner yeah. as they wanted him to be. But still, I thought he was obviously very good at Penn State, and he can change the, the game in an instant. He is the kind of guy who has the kind of speed to really change a game at a moment's notice. So I think we'll be fascinated to see what he ends up doing where he ends up going. Uh, I would be shocked, though, if he slides into the third round. 
Yeah, I think the fact that there's a lot of good, perceived to be a lot of good wideouts in this uh, draft class probably hurts his value as well. He did drop about 400 yards worth of passes at Penn State last season. I would say, uh, just, to, just to move this along a little bit, you know, John Reed apparently is, is almost a lock to get drafted. I think a lot of teams like him as a slot corner. Uh, Robert Windsor, a defensive tackle, could probably go late. Cam Brown is a, a little bit of a project at outside linebacker, but he can play special teams. I think those five guys have a great chance to all get drafted. Obviously, most of them will. After that, I think you're looking at guys like Steven Gonzalez, Jan Johnson, maybe Blake Gilligan as priority free agents or maybe, you know, seventh round picks. You'll just have to wait and see. Greg, let's move it along to second down. Uh, we got to talk to a very animated Joe Lurig, who is Penn State's now second year uh, special teams coordinator. He, he must have had at least a quart of coffee before he got on the teleconference call. I actually thought it was refreshing, and it was perfect timing because Penn State put its uh, spring depth chart out over the weekend on the day of what was supposed to be the blue-white game, and and it was kind of uh, mass-produced and not really specialized. They had Micah Parsons initially uh, as, I think, the primary kickoff returner, which I think got a lot of people curious and excited, but it's really not the case. So Joe Lurig was able to clear that up. Penn State put out another depth chart. So what do we learn about Micah's role maybe on the kick return team? So Joe Lorig uh, was very matter of fact about that whole thing. You know, he said, look, the first two guys on that depth chart were going to be the guys that are out on the field. He didn't go into specifics. Is he going to line them up horizontally along the goal line? Is he going to put Micah maybe five or seven yards in front of Dotson on the goal line? He didn't really get into all of that, but he thought that it was fairly clear. And obviously it wasn't everybody else that what that simply meant was those are the two guys that are going to be out there on kickoff return. So then they update the depth chart and make Micah the off returner, whatever that means. Um, yeah. Obviously, it, 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 they can't control if they line them up, no matter how they line them up, they can't control where teams kick it. So some teams, if they line up Micah um, ahead of the goal line, might kick it short to him. They might kick it to his side of the field and stay away from, I think I said Jahan Dotson, I meant Journey Brown. Um, you know, so they'll probably, I think most teams want to stay away from journey Brown. So they'll probably kick the mic aside. Look, it's just a way to get the ball in his hands. And, uh, they've done it with Saquon Barkley. They did it with KJ Hamler. If they think they have a guy who has such value uh, on the field that they have to squeeze every ounce out of it that they can. And they have that guy at Micah Parsons, of course, then they're going to find a way to get him, uh, you know, in the mix at a position that maybe isn't his normal one. So we know how much Bob he's clamored to play offense during his time at Penn State. And who knows if Kirk Shiraka has anything in mind uh, for that, but uh, certainly the return game is one area I can I can almost assure folks that whenever there is a football season, we'll see Micah in and that. Yeah, I think, and you mentioned Jahan Dotson. I think he's in line for punt return duty. Uh, he's one of the options. And I think you, you mentioned uh, Journey was probably the top option as the return guy. One thing about Micah, just your thoughts on this. You know, he did play running back and he, and he did a lot of things at Harrisburg High School. But, you know, that was, you know, that was the 2017 season. And, you know, when when he made the move to linebacker from pass rusher, he added considerable size, a lot of strength. He's gotten a little bit bigger, you know, 245 pounds. Greg, I just wonder, you know, is he is he going to be as effective as a runner unless it unless if he has to go east, west? Do you think he could fit maybe? Is he as nimble? Is he as nimble as Saquon was and as KJ was? In the return game, I, I don't think that's the case. And I just wonder if what he's done to become an All-American linebacker might, might work against him as a returner. 
No doubts about that. It does give you a little bit of a, a hearkening back to the Gerald Hodges return days that Bill O'Brien put into effect for about two punts uh, back back in what 2012, right. I guess 2013. Um, that's always a good memory to to think of. I think Micah would be a little bit more successful than than Hodges was in that regard. But um, yeah, look, I, I don't I don't disagree at all that his weight and his you know uh, obviously he's a very quick twitch player, but that doesn't necessarily translate to the kickoff game. So even if he's out there as a decoy, uh, if he's just fair catching it, if you know if nothing else, that gives Penn State the ball to twenty five, which they'll take you know as often as they can. One other note from the Lorig uh, news conference. He is really, really excited about the potential of Jordan Stout. You know, Penn State's got to replace a four-year starter at punter, Blake Gillikin, who might, who should get a free agent deal in the in the draft coming up. He could even get drafted late. I shouldn't rule that out. But I think he averaged 43 yards a kick for his career, had some big kicks in some big games, thought he got better as the year went on. Penn State didn't have a lot of worries with uh, with Blake. Uh, in the kicking game, he was a real field position weapon. Jordan Stout, the Virginia Tech transfer, was basically the long field goal guy last year and the kickoff specialist. But he he kind of I, I think he always could punt Greg, and he he took a nice little chunk out of uh, Jerry Wilt Stadium at AT and T for the Cotton Bowl in, in, in warmups. But it, it sounds like Joe is definitely prepared to give Jordan a long look as the punter, while he also can be the long. Uh, range kickoff guy and the kickoff specialist. He's a little worried about overworking him, but punting is a is a big deal in the college game, uh, especially if you have, if you have a good defense that can pin a team. So uh, it seems like Joe Joe really. It sounds like it's really Jordan's job to lose, and I guess that's not a big surprise. No, not really. But I do find interesting how James Franklin is going to handle this because we've heard him say so many yeah. times that he doesn't want to overwork a specialist. That's one thing we heard with Blake Gillikin endlessly. Well, why isn't he the kicker, too? Why isn't he the kickoff guy, too? Well, of course, once Penn State got Jordan Stout, that question didn't really need to be answered. But, um, you know, he's talked a lot about not wanting to overwork guys. Joe Lurig talked about the whole pitch count nature of it all. and He seems pretty confident that Jordan Stout can handle long field goals, uh, kickoffs, and, of course, doing the punting while also potentially doing some holding as well for Jake Pinniger on the short tries. So I think they'll be just fine uh, in that department. Department, but it's certainly something to keep an eye on here as things move forward. And they again really like what they uh, what they have with Stout, and I think like Micah Parsons, will try and find as many roles for him as possible. Sure. Is Lola getting a little restless? Do I detect some movement on your end of the uh, the, the video and the podcast? Yeah, we had a slight cough. Now we have a uh, quick drink. So, yeah, she's getting a little bit restless for sure. We have plenty of more Penn State Blitz to get to, Bob. Is that um, is that it for your thoughts on Joe Lorig? Or yeah, that was, roll that was with- tee up for, uh, with Lola getting restless. It's a good time to kind of reset the uh, the podcast and the, and the video. And you can give us, our loyal uh, listeners and viewers, some information about how to subscribe to all this great stuff we're providing. Yeah, you are listening to the Penn Live Penn State Blitz podcast, or you're watching the Penn State Penn Live or Penn Live Penn State Blitz on YouTube. If you're listening to the podcast, don't forget to hit like, subscribe, leave us some feedback about, about what thoughts you have for us on the, the remote virtual podcast, what we can discuss that you want to hear about, and, and any other feedback you have. You can do that Apple, uh, Spotify, wherever you get your audio. And then your second option, of course, would be to uh, listen to us on YouTube. YouTube.com slash All Penn State has not just these Blitz videos, as you know, Bob, but all of our uh, Penn State football video content, interviews with players, uh, scenes inside Beaver Stadium, everything else you can think of that 
you might want to look at uh, while you're sitting at home finding things to do about Penn State football. We have it for you. Next up is the next thing we have for you. That is a thoughts on Taylor Stubblefield and the mailbag. We'll be right back after this break. The Penn State Blitz podcast continues uh, halfway home on this uh, on this another remote edition uh, of the podcast. Greg, let's talk a little bit about Penn State's new wideouts coach, the fourth Penn State wideouts coach in four years, Taylor Stubblefield, uh, who replaces Jared Parker, who left uh, after one year at Penn State to become the West Virginia offensive coordinator. Greg Taylor Stubblefield is is still uh, two decades after he played at Purdue the Big Ten's all-time leader in receptions. Uh, I remember him uh, going against Penn State, you know, in 22 of 2003, 2004, a very good player. But he hasn't. he's a first-year coach. He hasn't really got a chance to really look at an, un- an a really an unproven receiving core. And he kind of hinted at that during our teleconference. He did have some interesting, a couple of interesting things to say about Jahan Dotson, who is not the biggest wideout Penn State's ever put on the field, but neither was Taylor Stubblefield. He said they're, they're similar in size, but Taylor was quick to note that uh, Hudson has, a, I think, a much better physical ceiling. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, I think that was a good question from Mark Brennan. Was that what does he see any similarities between his yeah. game and Dotson? And of course he does. I mean, they're not the biggest guys, but uh, Stubblefield was willing to go wherever he had to go to get the ball, and he was very consistent when it came his way. And I think you've seen a lot of those same things from Jahan Dotson. And look, they're going to expect him to be a leader in this room. They're going to expect him to be the veteran that he is. And that just isn't from a off-field uh, sort of rallying the the position group standpoint. That's, of course, production-wise as well. And so I think that's something that they're going to keep a close eye on when they get back to campus is, is he ready to fill that role? I don't know if he's necessarily the most vocal guy, and he certainly doesn't have to be, but um, he needs to be able to get those guys uh, not just rallying behind him, but also, of course, Taylor Stubblefield, too. So, yeah, it was interesting. Obviously, you know, of all the coaches we've had the chance to talk to so far this offseason, you know, I felt like Kirk Chiraca had a little bit more in the way of uh, a feeling for some of his guys, yeah. even though, as you said, that. Sean Clifford, Will Levis, Taquan Roberson, Michael Johnson Jr., he still really hasn't seen him throw in person. Uh, as Taylor Stubblefield was probably most impacted uh, by all this of the coaches we talked to. John Scott Jr. is then going to uh, be in that same boat as well, if and when we hear from him. But, I mean, Stubblefield came to campus, obviously, a little bit later than, than most of the new coaches did. And it was a surprise when Jared Parker took the offensive coordinator job at West Virginia. And so Stubblefield got here and basically hit the road recruiting, starting with that small gaff of wearing a Miami belt when he was out on the road recruiting for Penn State. He's, of course, talked about that before. So. Yeah, I mean, I think he tried his best to tell us what he knows about a lot of these guys, Bob, but I just don't know if he knows as much as we would like or think he would at this point, and through no fault of his own, it's just the way everything played out. Yeah, one final thought on Jahan Dutson. We mentioned the fact he's not the biggest guy, neither was Taylor Stubblefield. You mentioned the fact that, you know, through his first two years, not the maybe not the most talkative guy, but I mean, he was, you know, I think everyone kind of deferred to K.J. Hamler in terms of post-game interviews. Like he's... 5'11", 185 pounds. Well, I think when all was said and done, the guy that, that Jahan Dotson is going to resemble most at Penn State is a guy that I covered. He was a member of the 2005 championship team. Jordan Norwood, a very good player at Penn State, four years, 
very underrated, could go across the middle, could get deep. He played in the NFL. I think he was a member of the Denver Broncos Super Bowl team that won uh, a couple of years ago. They beat the Panthers. Just a very, very good player. Could contribute in the return game. I think that's the comp for me. We'll see how it plays out. But I I just think that Jahan Dotson will get better. And, you know, if he's not a 1,000-yard receiver, it's not the end of the world. The bigger question is, can some of these young guys and some of these third-year players like Daniel George eventually step up and take some of the pressure off of Jahan Dotson and Pat Frymuth? Not a given, but we'll see how they come back off of this layoff. Greg, let's get to the mailbag uh, as we wind this up. Penn State's recruiting run has just been very impressive in recent weeks. They've added a lot of quality talent in terms of four stars. How realistic is it for this recruiting run to continue, given I think they have some lim- a limited number of spaces, I think, in this group due to scholarships, uh, you know, that have already veterans that are already on scholarship. I think they're over now as we talk about it. So right. how realistic is this to continue? Yeah, it's a challenge, no question. I mean, not one that they didn't expect to face. Uh, it's going to be tough to trim the roster down to 85, considering you didn't have spring practice to help those conversations along, but they'll find a way to do it. And when it comes to recruiting, you know, we're looking at 10 to 13 more guys probably in this class. Now, look, depending on how things shake out, it obviously could expand. We're just going to have to wait and see when they can get back on the field again, how many guys decide to go pro after this season, et cetera. So um, I don't think you'll see a big rush of commitments here. No one's set aside really soon, Bob. One guy I'm watching, four-star Christian Valu, he's a, a quarterback out of Maryland, has Canadian roots. So we know Penn State's been good in that department over the years with Jonathan Sutherland, Jesse Lucetta, and some others. So I think he's maybe the next guy to watch. And I don't know, about three months' time, I, he could be the next one to come in. I mean, obviously, Penn State is uh, looking at Caleb Williams, too, the five-star quarterback out of Washington, D.C., and he seems to be in no rush to decide. We'll see if that ends up being true or not. But I think that is the biggest name to know at this point, the quarterback, and we'll see if anybody else moves up their decision timeline. It's interesting because recruiting tends to ebb and flow, uh, and things happen in spurts. And I think the spurt for Penn State, which was, of course, very successful, um, has probably slowed down for now, but at the same time, guys could be starting to get eager to to make a decision uh, because they don't have much else going on or they're worried about space filling up elsewhere. So we'll have to wait and see. All right, Bob, one for you. I solicited some mailbag questions earlier this morning. One, the first one that came in actually was uh, your th- for your thoughts on James Franklin and the defensive backs. We've heard from Terry Smith. We've heard from Tim Banks. We've heard from Brent Pry. After listening to those three coaches talk, do you feel good bad or otherwise about Penn State's past defense being better here in 2020? Uh, to be determined, I feel better about the corner room than I do about the safety room. I just think that, you know, watching them play, I, I felt like I know Penn State's going to miss John Reed. They're going to miss Garrett Taylor. I think they have some some athletes they really like in the corner room that are young. A couple of them got their feet wet. Keith Nellis and Marquise Wilson. Uh, we've talked about Joey Porter. I think he's going to hit the hit the ground running after doing some good things last year. Also interesting to note that um, Terry Smith really likes Daquan Hardy as a corner as well as a special teams player. I think they have some depth depth there. That's why they were able to move Trent Gordon. I think the reason they moved Trent Gordon safety is probably because they had more concerns about safety, especially pass coverage, um, than they did at corner. Uh, they have a chance to be a little bit better than they were last year. If they can just clean up some of the mental mistakes, they're going to be markedly better. I thought that was a really big issue, that and tackling down the stretch. I think those are correctable. See if it happens. Greg, before I get back to you, I wanted to circle back to recruiting real quick. I don't know that we we did not talk about Nolan Rucci, the five-star from Pennsylvania that 
I think Penn, he, he's cut his list, I think, to, to nine his final group. But I know Penn State's a major player. Can you just real quick update the fan base just on where they stand with Rucci? Need to get him, must get him, like where they stand with him at this point. The Lions are one of nine left for the Warwick Five Star, who's considered one of the nation's top recruits overall in the class of 2021, not just uh, one of the nation's top offensive tackles. But Wisconsin, where his brother plays, obviously is in the mix. I think Clemson could possibly surge too. Some other big name players. I mean, this is a guy who everyone that's everyone in the college football playoff uh, contention race wants. And Penn State has to be able to start winning battles like this, especially in Pennsylvania, uh, especially because he has Penn State roots with his dad. So it's a recruitment to me that they can't lose. Doesn't mean that they they you know are a lock. Doesn't mean that things can't go sideways. But they got to do whatever they can to get him, Bob. It's just they can't lose Julian Fleming last year and then Nolan Rucci this year. Just. It can't happen if the program expects to continue moving forward. Uh, let's get to We got one question, Bob, about the transfer from Bingham. Bingham's in the point guard to Penn State brought in. Don't know a ton about him. Know that Dave Jones likes him a lot. So you can take it or leave it with that response. We'll try and get some more info on that. But last one for you, Bob, that came in today. We heard Sandy Barber talk not too long ago um, on a number of different topics related to the financial realities of everything that's going on. And the question uh, from Barry wonders if Penn State will cut staff over this, much like Boise State did. Of course, they furloughed all of their coaches recently. Connecticut's president said and then walked back uh, his belief that all sports could be canceled. I mean, I guess I'll tee you up like this. I I walked away from that Sandy Barber news conference thinking that they will try their best not to cut sports, but I think you have to realize that everything is on the table, coaching uh, decisions, staffing decisions, pay reductions, things like that. I guess the one thing, Bob, that may make Penn State different than others is that the athletic department is self-sustaining. That's a good thing and a bad thing, I guess, but I don't know if they'll get as much pressure from the rest, the other side of the university to cut back on spending right now because they, again, are self-sufficient. So I think that could be one thing they have going for them. Of course, that'll bring with it its own challenges, though, too. Yeah, I think a lot's going to depend on when college football resumes and how it how it resumes. I mean, it, it's just uh, it's it's a fluid situation. Just in the last month of this uh, pandemic, things have changed in the last couple of weeks. I think there's a little bit more optimism. I think there's been a, some news. I know we're not doctors, but I mean. In terms of how quickly they can ramp up testing and, and how quickly a vaccine can get out there, but you know if they have a spring restart instead of a fall, a late fall restart, I would say it probably doesn't bode well for some of the sports at Penn State. I know they don't want to do it, but sometimes you know it's it's a, it's going to be a financial decision, and I think Penn State is better positioned than a lot of schools to sustain something like this. But it can't go on forever, and eventually football is not going to restart in a timely manner. I think Sandy and her and the athletic department is going to have to make some tough decisions, but they're not alone. It's going to happen, I think, nationwide. 